0: Go into my servant, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she had when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress, and submit to her. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring, so that they cannot be numbered numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all of his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a god of seeing, for she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Ber Lahoit Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Berev. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called him the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram.
1: All right, thanks, Ryan. I appreciate that. Um, so this semester, getting all geared up here. This semester, we've been going through Genesis, so now we're on Genesis 16 very strange, interesting story about Hagar and Ishmael. But let me let me pray first. God, I thank you that we can be here and that we can worship you and that we can talk about your words to us and think about um, Abram and your promises to him that happened so long ago. I pray that you'd be with me um, with my words and that they would be useful and pleasing to you, and that um, you might bear fruit even now as I um, talk about this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was about four or five years old, my mom was getting ready for some guests that were coming over, and so she made this dessert called Four Layer Delight, and the bottom is like lined with this crust, and then it's like chocolate pudding, and then it's like this vanilla-y thing on top and then like nuts and like a topping so it's really good but it's a cold dessert it's pudding right so she put it in the fridge and it's just sitting there and then you know she's preparing for guests and she opens the fridge and there's these four fingers marks going right through the middle of this big pan and she goes who put their hand in my dessert and so she starts looking And from like ear to ear on my face is like chocolate. (laughs) And I just looked and said, not me. (laughs) And so the point of that story is I was grasping at goodness. And that's what I want to call this sermon is grasping at goodness. Because I didn't want to wait. I wanted it and I had my own strategy for getting it. Um, And I went about it the wrong way and ruined this dessert. So I think that we see that sort of here in this passage, that God has been promising Abram, you're going to bear a son, and you're going to, there's going to be this multitude that comes after you, this nation, I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to bless the whole world through you." And then they wait, and they wait. In this passage it says, it had been 10 years in the wilderness, and he didn't have a son yet. So they make their own strategy to grasp at goodness. They want God's blessing, so they make their own strategy to get it. So I have two points. Um, Try to keep it short and sweet tonight. The two points are works and waiting. Um, The first is how works lead to slavery. And the second is how do we live a life of faithful waiting? So works and waiting. So first, works. So in our fallen condition, we want God's blessing. We, we need God's blessing, actually, and God has a plan to give that to us. But we always devise our own strategies to get at it. And notice the parallels to Genesis 3. So Adam and Eve were progenitors of the human race, so to speak, right? Well, so was Abram and Sarai. They were supposed to be the parents of this whole nation, right? And Eve takes this fruit and gives it to Adam, and so Sarai takes Hagar and gives it to Abram. And both Abram and Adam are very docile and just like, okay. And then disaster strikes in both instances. Um, so there's actually another passage that I w- it's a short passage from Galatians. I want to read to you and I think it's important um, to look at. So this is Galatians four and it the, the like second half. And it should be on the screen. So it says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law. So in this passage, Paul is addressing these people who want to put Gentiles under these Jewish laws and regulations and saying, no, you have to do this. This is how we earn favor with God. This is what we're supposed to do. So it says, You who desire to be under the law, don't you listen to what the law says? For it is written that Abram had two sons, one by a slave woman, And then 28 says, Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. So what's the deal here? Two covenants and slavery. When did this come into the picture? Well, picture yourself as an ancient Jew reading Genesis, and you hear Egypt. Hagar's from Egypt. What comes to your mind? You know, slavery, okay? And then, you know, here in Galatians, Paul says she's from Mount Sinai. Does anyone know what happened on Mount Sinai? I think you said Ten Commandments. If you did, you're correct. The Ten Commandments were given on Mount Sinai. So why does he say one is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery? Because the first half of my first point works is that when you're trying to use God's law... To earn his favor, it's slavery. You've misused his law, and it doesn't work because you're just constantly grinding. Think of non-Christians who, are like, I don't want to go near Christianity. It's got all those like rules and stuff. You know, I don't want to be a slave to all that. Well, in one way, they're terribly wrong because here itself, Galatians 4, Paul's saying that's not what it is. That's slavery. You know, um, so. Also, you can't succeed in using God's law like that. You also can't succeed by doing the works of sin, or Paul says, the law of sin and death. Um, This is the grasping for goodness. It doesn't work. So, notice when Sarai, when Hagar conceives a child, it says she looked with contempt at Sarai, her mistress. So, when I was thinking about this, I think doesn't your sin sneer back at you once it's been conceived? You know, once after you cheat on a test or you look at porn or you tell that person what you finally wanted to tell them, does your does your itch really feel scratched or do you just feel like mocked? Do you feel like I was tempted to do this and I did it and I thought it would be good, but I just feel. Like it's sneering at me. It's looking at me with contempt. Um, So you're grasping at goodness, your human strategy to get blessing. It doesn't work. It's slavery. And then you get caught into it and you just have to serve this master. And we even seek out masters to serve. That's how bad we are in our fallen state. So we see that works don't work, so to speak. So how do we live, right? Um, how do we get God's blessing? How do we get back into the garden? And we see that we need to live a life of faithful waiting. We need to wait for God's promise. Um, and the trick to know to waiting faithfully is remembrance. We did a messianic Passover seder last of uh, two weeks ago or something, and Um, last week. And what is the point of Passover? Does anyone know? Like, why did they celebrate Passover? Ashley? Yes. Yes. To remember was her answer in short for the recording. And it's remembrance. And then at the Eucharist, that communion, Last Supper... Jesus says, Do this in remembrance of me. And, you know, throughout the Old Testament, God says, um, Build an Ebenezer, which would be like a pile of stones. And so that when your children look on it and they say, What's that? You say, Well, that's when God opened up the Red Sea so we could cross on dry ground. So remembrance is a big deal for our Christian faith. And you have to remember that you're a child of the promise what it says in Galatians 4. You need to know not only that you are a child of promise, but you need to know the child of promise. We see we've been waiting for Isaac, who is this promised child in Galatians 4, the child of promise. But Jesus was the child of promise. He was also going to be the progenitor of a multitude and nation and was going to be bestowed with blessings and given a promised land. Um, And it's Jesus that frees us from our slavery. Because on the one hand we have, I can be a goody two-shoes and just try to earn it all. And then if you succeed, self-righteousness. If you fail, guilt. (laughs) That's the trap. So then you say, well, I'll just do it on my own. And then disaster strikes. Um, So Jesus is the freedom. And even in the Old Testament here, right In 15, it says, you know, God was saying, you know, I'm going to make this multitude out of you. And it said, Abram believed and God counted it to him as righteousness. So even in the Old Testament, it's faith that God counts as righteousness. It's even Christ working backwards through history to save. Um, So Jesus is the way out, the child of promise. And you see all throughout the Bible, there's people that God is showing up to them doing these mighty works and giving them promises. And then they're waiting, waiting, waiting. You see it with Abram. And then you see it with the Israelites in the wilderness. And then, isn't that what we're in right now? That Jesus freed us and we've, He's broken the power of sin and death? And, but we're still waiting for the final deliverance. So we're just like... We're just like Abram. We're waiting on God's promises. Um, So, the key is remembering. And I had this... uh, Well, two things. There's passage John 6, where these people walk up to Jesus and they say, What must I do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus, in his regular style, gives this confounding answer. He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent. (laughs) It's like, believing? But what do I do to be working for you? And he says, to believe in me. So that's why when I say faithful waiting, I don't mean just twiddling our thumbs. I don't mean this sort of, like I saw a tattoo that said, let go and let God. And I, I get... I think what he means by that, and I can affirm that. But if, if what you mean by that is, I'm just going to make myself this empty vessel, and I'm just going to wait for miraculous things to happen through me with no effort on my part, then you're sorely mistaken. Um, I thought of sort of a paradox the other day that was every, everyone wants to be justified through your own greatness and your own works, and you want all your vices to disappear with just a snap of the fingers, just at a word. But what God does is He justifies us with a word, and then He uses our actions, our spirit-enabled actions, to perfect us over time. So it's opposite of how most of us would have it. So John 6, the work of God is to believe. And the other thing I wanted to share with you is this quote by John Murray, who says, To say to the slave who has not been emancipated, do not behave as a slave, is to mock his enslavement. But to say the same thing, so to say don't behave as a slave, to a slave who has been set free is the necessary appeal to put into effect the privileges and rights of his liberation. So what he's saying is, if you say "Don't, don't act like a slave, to a slave, that's just mocking him. But... If someone has just been a slave and has been freed, and you say, you don't have to behave like a slave anymore. You're free. You don't know how to act like that because you've never done it before, but you're free to do that now. And isn't that the state that we're all in? So we've been broken from our slavery, but we're always running back to our old masters because we don't know what to do with ourselves. So the kind of waiting that we need to do is one that's active, a diligent waiting that we cultivate remembrance in our lives. And so I had three practical things here. And I use I like to use this like farming analogy of irrigate, cultivate, and exterminate are my three practical things. So irrigate, I think you, this week, why don't you try... To read a psalm or a short passage and pray for God to help you see His promises and to remember them. And if the Christian life is a tree, this is like watering that tree. And I think the way this gets twisted is we think, oh, God really wants me to read my Bible and to pray, and if I don't do it, He'll be really angry with me. But you're seeing it backwards. His words are a gift. And we're not under the, the law, the slavery of the law. We're not under that. We're freed by Jesus. And so when we do that, we think, wow, I'm really free? I don't have to read this and pray for God to love me? I wonder where I could hear more about that. <laughs> you would probably go to the Scriptures and start praying. Um, so I remember I sat down I've probably told you guys this story before, but I sat down with a student at Belmont, and he just started telling me how guilty he was that he wasn't reading his Bible. And I like flipped open the Galatians, and because this whole book, Galatians is about like the law, you know, and it says, you know, I basically showed him in Galatians that you can't earn God's favor through doing things like this, so you don't have to. Might be worried that God doesn't love you because you're not reading your Bible. He's like, Really? And it just like, I saw this thing pop off in his head, and I saw him next week, and he was like, Yeah, so I've been reading Galatians. (laughs) I was like, What's the deal, man? (laughs) Once he knew he didn't have to do it, he wanted to do it. Um, So that's irrigate. The second thing is cultivate. What actions and which people help you remember that you're a child of promise? We should cultivate those habits and we should cultivate those relationships. So I encourage you this week, go to church if you don't usually attend or meet with a Christian friend or a mentor, maybe not that we're mentors, but Chris, me, or Christy and try to stump us with a question Um, or just a a friend, a peer, and say, help me remember who I am. Um, And see... Do that and see if your attitude and your behavior doesn't change. Um, so that's cultivate. The last one is exterminate. And remembering is a pesticide to sin. It stops sin in its tracks. Um, when you remember who you are, you know that the girls have been going through in their small group this book called Real Sex. And in it, she talks about how. You know, you tell your kids growing up, like, don't have sex, don't have sex, you're not allowed to. And then they're like, okay. And then when you're late at night, laying down with your boyfriend at you know, 1 a.m. watching a movie, that don't do that, you're not allowed, doesn't seem very strong anymore. But what is strong is the narrative of who am I? What does sex mean? What does this communicate if I do that? That's powerful. So, that's the power of remembering. Um, There's been times when I'm tempted, and I think I just remember a scripture or I just remember, like, who I am and what Christ has done for me, and I just, it breaks it for me. And, you know, sometimes that doesn't happen to me, and sometimes it's, I do remember something, and it's still a struggle. But, Here's my challenge. This week, when you're at a crossroads of grasping at goodness or dying to yourself and taking the hard path, try the hard path. Try dying to yourself and see if you don't taste life on the other side of that. And we see this cycle in our life all the time. If you want to eat the food that tastes really good, it's going to kill you. (laughs) You want to lay on the couch? It's going to kill you. But the things that feel like death, studying, exercising, eating healthy, those things lead to life. So why wouldn't that be true in our spiritual walk You know, when Jesus says, those who give up their life for my sake will find it. So next time you're at this crossroads, try dying to yourself and see if you taste life and blessing on the other side. So, so we got works is slavery. So remember that. And remembering is the key to waiting faithfully. Um, so let me pray for us. God, I pray that You'd help us to remember that we're children of the promise, not children of slavery. I thank You that You're merciful. Though I didn't talk about this, that You say that I've heard You Ishmael means he hears or God hears. And you hear us in our distress and you're merciful towards us. Thank you for your promises. So help us to be children of the promise who wait with patience and faith, knowing who our Father is and certain, being certain that His words come to pass because they're sure and they're true. In Jesus' name, amen. your son.